Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. We pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us continue now with our song of praise.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, from whom all good proceeds, grant us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may always think those things that are good and by your merciful guidance may accomplish the same. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated for the reading of Holy Scripture. Please join me in reading Psalm 98. We will read responsively from the bulletin. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. With his own right hand and with his holy arm, he has won for himself the victory. The Lord declared his salvation. His righteousness has he openly shown in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and truth toward the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Show yourselves joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Sing, rejoice, and give thanks. Praise the Lord with the harp. Sing with the harp a song of thanksgiving. With trumpets also and horns. O oh, show yourselves joyful before the Lord, the King. Let the sea make a noise in all that is in it, the round world and those who dwell therein. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he has come to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the peoples with equity. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And by the measure you give, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and do not see the log that is in your own eye? Or how is it that you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye while you still have a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and then attack you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Matthew to record these words of Jesus. And we believe that these words not only had power in the day that Jesus spoke them and Matthew wrote them, 
But these words have power today because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit for us, your church now. And so we pray in an age of so much brokenness, in such a divided world, we would hear your word now, Holy Spirit, and we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. How can the judge in me be put to death? How can the judge who lives and breathes in me, and who, if I'm honest, I give way too much room for within me, how can that judge be put to death? See, I can be extremely judgmental, and I know I'm the only one in the room. I remember when I was first in seminary, first week of seminary, we were students from all over the world. And so the dean of students had this brilliant idea of stuffing us all into assigned small groups. So you and your spouse joined this assigned small group. We're going to make some community. And it was awkward and it was weird. We were literally from all around the world, different languages. And in our very first group meeting, there was a young lady in our group. She was the spouse of a student. And she told us, I think this is ridiculous. Community can't be forced. I don't know any of you. And I don't even know if I want to get to know any of you. This is ridiculous. And I decided in that minute, I don't like her too much. She's clearly one of those people to be avoided. She is probably not even a real Christian. And so I sat there for weeks on end, judging her and condemning her in my heart. Now, there's more to this story, but you'll have to wait till the end of the sermon to hear it. Jesus says in verse 1 of Matthew 7, if you're with me in your Bibles, judge not, lest ye be judged. And I think this is probably one of the most quoted sayings of Jesus and probably one of the most ignored sayings of Jesus. But even more so, I think it's one of the most misunderstood sayings of Jesus. Because what does Jesus mean by judge not? Does he mean that we're not to make any kind of moral decisions? We're not to be able to judge between what's right and what's wrong and which way we should go? You see, thankfully, Jesus attaches to this judge not passage about logs in one another's eyes. This verse six bit about throwing your pearls before swine and discerning what is holy and what's a dog. And in doing so, what Jesus is saying there, that we are meant to discern. You don't throw pearls before swine, right? You don't give to dogs what is holy. We have to make divisions, discernments, decisions between the right way and the wrong way in this world. We need to do it. Jesus brilliantly includes this here. Because he's not contradicting himself. What he's saying is there are two very different biblical concepts which we need to grapple with. There is the biblical concept of discernment and there's the biblical concept of judgment. And they're very different. See, discernment as a concept in scripture is what we are called to do. 
we are called to discern, to take the wisdom that God gives us and to be able to discern. As the Psalter begins, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right there, clear distinction between the right way and the wrong way. There's discernment. We're called to have wisdom, which James chapter 1 says, if you're lacking it, just ask. God will give us wisdom. We're called to discern. As Charles Spurgeon once said, the saints are not judges, but the saints are not simpletons either. See, when we looked at reopening, for example, we had a lot of discernment to make. Right? There were a lot of decisions to make, taking all the data we had and to prayerfully make some decisions to discern the way forward. For example, we discerned that we would be opening the sanctuary for worship, but we would not yet be reopening children's ministry and student ministry, children's ministry especially while masks are still required. Why? Well, our discernment taught us this. Can you imagine the first grade classroom right now in Archgate if masks were required? It would be going something like this. Please don't snap Billy's mask in his face. Your mask is not a slingshot. I'm sorry your mask is wet. That's what happens when you keep licking it. Please don't trade masks. I know you like Ingrid's better than yours. I'm sorry that your breath stinks inside your mask. Perhaps you should brush your teeth before church. You are not a pirate. Take that mask off your eye. Try to get the gum out as best you can. And my favorite of all, who's making that noise? Think about it. You see, we are called to discern, but in all seriousness, discernment is about determining what is evil and what is good in this world. And Christians today need to be able to discern evil when they see it and call it out. Christians have to be able to look at a video of a man dying with a knee on his neck and say that George Floyd's death was an act of evil. And then discern what's the best way for Christians to respond. To discern, to make decisions, to be thoughtful and faithful with the wisdom God has given us. As Isaiah 5 chapter 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are called to discern. We must be a people with wisdom and discernment. But the problem is, there's a whole other biblical concept, and it's called judgment, and it's what we're not called to do. It's very different from discernment. Judgment is unique to God. God alone is judge. As we say in the creed every Sunday, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He is the judge. As Romans 14 verse 10 tells us, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Judgment is God's alone. 
So how can the judge that lives in me die? How can I put to death that judge that lives within me? And how instead can I have come to life in me a faithful, discerning disciple's heart? And the answer is always by listening to the gospel or by hearing Jesus. What we see in this passage here in Matthew 7, the good news is this, that we are confronted by the fact that judging is, first of all, hijacking. We're going to realize quickly that this is not our role, and therefore if we try to be judge, we are hijacking the judge's bench. But not only is judging hijacking, but judging is also hypocritical. We're going to see just how much damage we will do to ourselves if we seek to be judges. But not only is is, is it hijacking judging, and not only is judging hypocritical, But the real cure comes when we recognize the judging is humiliated at the foot of the cross. That the judge in me will die there or at least will begin its death. And here's what's amazing is as that judge in you and I dies, humiliated at the foot of the cross, that discerning disciple's heart is actually then free to live. The judge dies and the discerning disciple lives. So first, judging is hijacking. Let's just get it out in front. Verse one, judge not, Jesus says, why? Because God alone is judge. It's not your role to judge. God is the judge. And in fact, scripture has demonstrated for us, the whole good news story of Jesus has demonstrated for us that now we know who the judge is. It's Jesus. Why? Because God has raised him from the dead. Paul, when he's in Athens, says these words in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. He says this about the resurrection and about judgment. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. In other words, the resurrection becomes the picture over the world that says, here is the one who is the true judge. He can stand in judgment and will stand in judgment over the world. The problem is for us is when we try to take the judge's bench, we're hijacking it. We're usurping it. We're arrogantly presuming that we can stand in judgment over another human being. Because judgment has a sense of finality to it. A sense of final judgment. A sense that now I've got all the knowledge I need to know what's really going on. That I can make a declaration and I can even assign motive to a person's actions. See, it's ultimately about competency. You and I have to be humbled by the reality that we do not have the competency to stand as judge over another. We do not know motive. We don't know every circumstance that's gone on behind a person's behavior or moment. And we must, in humility, recognize we do not have the competency to stand as judges. As James chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge 
your neighbor. Do you know a good sign, a little warning flag is that we're moving out of discerning into judging? You know, first of all, whenever someone says things like, I'm not trying to judge anyone, right? That's the indication. You're just giving excuses. You know full well you're about to judge someone. But here's another great sign, is when the way you think about someone and the way you talk about someone moves into the language of condemnation and contempt. As the German 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer said of contempt that it is the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. When we judge others, they become less worthy of dignity. They become less human in our eyes. And yet we do it all the time. We are living in a world full of judgmentalism. People standing over, condemning, pointing fingers, declaring, I know what is right and what is wrong in this world, and you are not right. Or as the bumper sticker I saw the other day said, I'm not judging you for doing it, I'm judging you for putting it on Facebook. See, judging is hijacking. It's God's role, not ours. But judging is also hypocritical, and here's where it really comes back to roost in our lives. Verse 2 of chapter 7, Jesus says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure that you give will be measured to you. In other words, that if we applied the standards that we judge others by against ourselves, we will stand condemned. As Francis Schaeffer used this analogy, he said, it's as if through our whole lives, God has put this little invisible tape recorder around our necks. And what that invisible tape recorder does is every time that you or I think or speak a word of judgment over another person or condemnation, that little tape recorder starts recording. And at the end of time, as Francis Schaeffer says, what'll happen is God, and again, this is fictitious, but it's a good analogy. God will then play back the tape recorder before the judgment seat of God. You'll listen to your own words of judgment and God will say, now you stand under your own judgment. And you and I will be condemned to hell by such words. We cannot live up to our own standards by which we judge others. It's biblical. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Which is why Jesus, I think, so brilliantly starts talking about specks and logs. He's using an absurd metaphor to get our attention. When he says in verse 3, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and do not see the log that is in your own eye? And why do you try, even worse than not seeing it, why do you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye while you still have a log in your own eye? See what Jesus is describing is a condition that seems to happen in every human being, save one, we'll get there, but in every human being, save one, we have a condition called log eye, right? I've had pink eye before, a few times, I have log eye every day, 
Logi doesn't seem to go away. Logi is a sinner condemning another sinner. An ability for a sinner to say, I see the sin in you, and yet somehow not giving full enough weight to the sin within yourself. John Stott puts it this way. He says, the picture of somebody struggling with the delicate operation of removing a speck of dirt from a friend's eye, while a vast plank is in his own eye, entirely obscuring his vision, is ludicrous in the extreme. Yet, when the caricature is transferred to ourselves and our ridiculous fault-finding, we don't always appreciate the joke. We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. And yet we do it anyway, don't we? And do you know why we do it? Do you know why we stand in judgment over other people? We love to talk about people and make judgments over people. Is it intoxicating? It feels so cathartic and strong because I get to stand in judgment over this person and can say, I have found the wicked in the world and it's not me. It's right here. And in self-righteousness, it feels strong and powerful and tribal and partisan and death. And that's why Jesus uses his harshest word. It's the word hypocrite. You hypocrite, verse 5. And I love the word because it actually means literally actor. You actor. You pretender. You sham. You're no judge. You're just an act. And not even a good one at that. Judging is not just hijacking the bench. Judging is totally hypocritical. We cannot stand under our own condemnation. But if you're like me, even though I know that judging is hijacking, I I, I know the gospel, I've read this before, and even though I know that judging is hypocritical, I know these things. Why do I keep doing them? Because something more is required. See, it's not just enough to know that that, that, that this is hijacking and to know that judging is hypocritical. Ultimately, the judge in me must be humiliated at the foot of the cross. That's the only place the cure can be found. Here's what I mean. See, in verse 5, Jesus again takes this absurd metaphor of a speck and a log. And then he goes further and says, first, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye so you see clearly. And we can say, oh, okay, so what I just simply need to do is make sure I'm very repentant before I judge others. Okay, Lord, I know there's lots of sin in me and so now let me go find some sin in some other people, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is doing here is extending the absurd metaphor. He's using what I'll call rhetorical absurdity 
Take the log out of your own eye. How are you ever going to get that log out of your eye? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read through my prayer journals of 20, 25 years as a Christian, here's what I see. I see certain patterns of sin that over the decades I've been following Jesus have, by God's grace, been moved to the side. They're just, they're not front and center as much as they used to be. Praise God. But here's what is amazing, though. Once one area of sin begins to get dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? Another thing, another sin pops up in its place. There's always more logs. I have a forest in my eyes. Because the truth is, if Jesus was to expose to us all of the sin that is in us at any given moment, we would be just ashes on the floor. We could not handle to hear such level of condemnation. And so in grace and mercy, he gives us just a bit at a time for us to work on by the power of the Holy Spirit. The log doesn't seem to come out. There's always another one behind it. See, Jesus is using this rhetorical absurdity the same way in, Matthew, in, in John chapter 8 with a woman caught in adultery. He says to the crowd, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. It's not an invitation for someone to go, okay, forgive me, Yahweh, and then throw a stone. No, he's saying there ain't anybody here who fits that criteria. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5 here, take the lo- your, your log out of your eye first, it's impossible. You're never going to get it out. And so what then is he saying? He's pointing to a moment that's coming. A moment in Calvary when the world will stand back and suddenly begin to realize that the man hanging on that cross is the only man who's ever lived with no logs in his eyes. He is truly the sinless one who has done nothing wrong. That as we find at his resurrection that he's the true judge and this all comes together, we begin to be confronted with the reality That at the cross, we meet the pure, spotless judge who is being judged on our behalf. That at the cross, the one who has no logs in his eye, the one person who can stand in condemnation over me, the one man who could stand there and point and laugh and condemn and jeer, chooses not to, but instead takes the condemnation on himself. As John chapter 3, verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Do you see what this does to judgment? When we stand judged mercifully beneath the cross. And just to be clear, this doesn't mean that God just sort of wipes away the sins and says, oh, it didn't matter. The cross means Your sin did matter so much that someone had to die for it, and it's not you. Because by grace through faith, the judge bears the judgment. This mercy humiliates us at the foot of the cross. As Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. Before the true judge, the true judge who shows mercy, the judge in me is absolutely humiliated at the cross. Woe is me, a sinful man who has stood in judgment over other men and women because the one sinless judge has looked on my wickedness and said, I will make you worthy. And notice what happens. In that moment at the foot of the cross, which we're reminded of every time we come to the communion table. That's, that's really what we're doing. We're rehearsing this story every Sunday we gather. Coming around this table and rehearsing the cross and the empty tomb. And as we do so, what happens as we are humiliated, our judge is humiliated at the foot of the cross, is suddenly that judge begins to die and in his place there comes alive a different kind of life, a discerning life. Remember those two concepts? The judge needs to die so the discerning disciple can live. The discerning disciple who does so with humility and grace and patience and gentleness. As Ephesians chapter 4 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Or as Henry Nouwen once wrote, often I've asked myself, what would it be like if I no longer had any desire to judge another? He says, I would walk the earth as a very light person indeed. I love at the end of C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair. It's one of my favorite books in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in that story, there's the two children Jill Pole and Eustace Scrub. And they've gone on these adventures together and they've not been very nice to each other at times. And yet along the way, they've met Aslan, the Jesus figure, and they've been forgiven and they've recognized, you know, what humility is. And all the way through the book, like typical sort of boarding school British children, they only refer to each other by their last names, Scrub and Pole. Very impersonal. But this is what happens at the end after all their adventures, after they've been humbled by the grace of Aslan, after they've begun discovering what forgiveness looks like. We read this at the end. But when Scrub took the hand of Pole, he said, So long, Jill. Sorry, I've been a funk and so ratty. I hope you get home safe. And Pole said, so long, Eustace. And I'm sorry I've been such a pig. And this was the very first time that they'd ever used each other's Christian names. Because as the judge dies and the discerning disciple lives, we begin to see each other as human beings with brokenness and need we see compassion. How can this judge in me be put to death? By hearing the gospel. 
by recognizing that judging is hijacking. It's taking God's role. It's usurping his role arrogantly. And that judging is hypocritical. I cannot stand under the judgment that I offer. But ultimately, the cure is found because the judge in me is humiliated at the foot of the cross with such mercy from the true judge. That seminary story of the young lady in our group who was so angry and who I just was convinced was a crazy person and didn't like her and so they're condemning and judging her for weeks on end about the fourth week. We were in a prayer group in that meeting and as often happens in prayer, I was suddenly deeply convicted of my own sin and how judgmental I'd been and how much I'd been forgiven from Jesus. And as we're praying in the group and his tears were coming down my face and I was wiping the tears, I looked across the room and there sat this woman and her husband and they were holding onto each other and they too had tears. And all of a sudden, I just felt that judgmentalism die. And what came in its place was empathy and compassion, true discernment. And I thought to myself for the first time, this poor Australian woman got dragged halfway around the world by her husband to come to seminary. How would I feel? This poor woman got ripped out of her home church and all her social networks and now was being thrust into this new community. How would I feel? And so after the study, we hung around Monica and I and this woman and her husband and we chatted for a while And they were actually kind of fun, cool people. And we started walking through campus together. I just couldn't contain myself. I said, I got to confess. I have been standing in condemnation and judgment over you for weeks. And I told her why. I said, because remember that moment when you told everybody how much you you hated being in the small group and this was ridiculous? And she goes, oh, I was such an awful attitude. And I'm so sorry. And we all laughed about it. And over the next few years, we became good friends. Good close friends. If you want to know how close, if you know the name of my children, the girl I judged is named Kira Lee. We do disservice to God and to one another and to ourselves and to our future as we take God's role and judge one another. Let the judge be humiliated today afresh at the foot of the cross. This, my body given for you, this, my blood. And let us learn instead how to discern. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel for a time of prayer. In peace, we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. For this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel, and all who seek the truth. For Foley, our Archbishop, Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Dean and Rector, and all our clergy and lay leaders, for all who serve God and His Church. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us and that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Amen. I invite you to rise. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share that peace with one another in our families, directly with others, indirectly. I invite you to be seated for a few quick announcements. Again, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. It's a joy to be back in worship, isn't it? A few quick announcements about events that are coming. Father Brian's going to share a bit about our summer book study and also uh, do a few other things, including communion instructions this morning. Father Brian? If you turn with me to the back page of your bulletin, you'll see that our annual summer book study begins this week. But instead of meeting together in person for teaching, we are doing our summer book study on a podcast. Uh, every week for the next seven weeks, you'll get a different discussion between members of the clergy and staff. This week, it's Father Jonathan and I talking about two works by C.S. Lewis. You can get the books online or at our bookstore and listen in on the podcast. I hope you can join us and read together this summer no matter where you are. You can subscribe for that podcast on our website or anywhere that you get your podcasts, Christ Church Studies. Every week, we celebrate birthdays and wedding anniversaries. If you're celebrating a birthday today or in the coming week, or if we missed your birthday in the past 13 weeks, please stand where you are so I can pray God's blessing on you. And yes, Father Paul, that includes you. It's your birthday today. Let's uh, pray our birthday prayer on page eight together. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them where they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up where they fall. And in their hearts, may your peace, which passes understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday. Similarly, uh, couples celebrating wedding anniversaries today or in the coming week, or if we missed your anniversary in the past 13 weeks, please stand where you are and hold each other's hands, and I'll pray God's blessing on you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. The Lord mercifully pour upon you all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life and the age to come have life everlasting. Amen. You may kiss your bride. Congratulations. As Father Paul said, we're gonna be doing communion a little different in the next few weeks in order to keep you and our volunteers and staff safe. We'll be communing at standing stations up here at the front. You'll notice during the communion prayer, uh, the staff and servers will disappear behind the screen. There we will wash our hands and get all gloved up and put on a mask so we can keep you safe. Um, you'll receive uh, coming up uh, when you're dismissed by the usher. If you have your offering with you, you can place it at one of these baskets up at the front. Please receive with your hands open like this. The clergy will place the bread in your hands. If you'd like to receive wine, we will give you a small individual cup by the top. 
you please receive it from the bottom, consume it there, and place it in the empty tray uh, right to the side of it. If you are not comfortable receiving wine, you can come forward and just receive bread. If you're not comfortable receiving either, you can spiritually commune with us and come forward and receive a blessing. Your cooperation is so appreciated during this time. We want to commune with one another and with the Lord in the safest way possible. Let's now prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion by standing together and singing our hymn. be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave and by his glorious resurrection open to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name.
as we continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
Come, beloved, all is ready.
We pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Let us go out singing together to God be the glory. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.